It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by Representative Ro Khanna. He serves California's 17th District. More importantly, he serves Silicon Valley, so we have a lot of questions for him this morning. Thank you, Congressman, for joining us. Good morning, Zerlina. Congratulations on Peacock. I'm sure it's only the beginning of a <laughs> Thank you. very successful TV career as well. I hope so. But one of the things we talk about on the show a lot is our backup plans, because we know that mm-hmm. media is not exactly the type of thing you want to put your marker down and, and hope that it's forever um, or I, with a promise that it's forever. So I'm like, well, I have this law degree. I can exonerate the wrongfully convicted or work a political campaign in the future. So I feel good about the backup plans as well. So I have, to have that mentally. Um, but it looks to me, um, Congressman, like Facebook did not have a backup plan <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> um, what just can I when you found out that Facebook was down, Instagram was down, WhatsApp was down, like fully down. Everybody was tweeting like, what is happening? Um, what did you think was the reason i mean it, it was so strangely the day after 60 minutes i don't know i don't know if they were trying to clean up the sites i don't know if it was actually a collapse of uh, sufficient uh, server space but to me what is the most disturbing is this idea that facebook actually did studies where they surveyed teenage girls who were on the platform And the studies came back showing that because of the use of Instagram, teenage girls in particular, but teenagers more generally, have significantly more suicidal thoughts, are significantly more prone to eating disorders. And they just sat on this data. And they know they have a product that is causing harm to our children, and they're indifferent to it. And that is inexcusable. And there's going to be a bipartisan action in Congress uh, against that. What are you hoping to learn this morning from the whistleblower testifying in front of the Senate? I want to know whether there was a deliberate attempt to suppress these studies, who made the decisions not to have this information acted on or public. I also want to know, you know, one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough about is a documented in this great book, Ugly Truth on Facebook, is that Facebook before January 6th, the security, the private security of Facebook, the people who monitor the sites, said, we hear chatter that people are plotting political assassinations on January 6th, that they want to storm the Capitol. And instead of turning that information over to law enforcement, Facebook made a decision not to share that information, that somehow they thought it would violate the First Amendment, which Zerlina as a a lawyer, you know, is not the case. You can't incite violence. And I want to know why, who made those decisions? I mean, and why is there a pattern of just lack of transparency? Yeah, that's the thing that I, I think bothers most people is this idea that they behave as if they think they're above, you know, the rules and potential regulations that everybody else is under and and that they they're above 
reproach? I mean, it, it is potentially today's hearing in the Senate a step towards accountability for Facebook? Because as you said, they are harming people, which isn't a thing that we normally allow. <laughs> it is a step. I hope it's a step. But let me tell you why I'm still a little bit skeptical and concerned. We've had now probably in the five years I've been in Congress, the same pattern. They, they haul in these CEOs. Uh, it creates a viral clip. It, it create, makes the evening news. But then no legislation gets done. I mean, after Cambridge Analytica, the speaker asked me to come up with the Internet Bill of Rights. I proposed the Internet Bill of Rights. There still hasn't been any legislation. The Congress has not passed a single thing on the issue. And so, yes, people will grill the, the, the Facebook executives and the whistleblower will share what happened. But the question is, are we going to act? Are we going to say, OK, FTC, you now have the power to regulate Facebook when it comes to products that are harming America's teenagers? Uh, and, and are we going to get that through committee and a vote? That's the real test. Can, can I ask a, a, a question from a really cynical place? And, and I want to say that out loud because I, I think that that obviously cracking down on Instagram for harming girls knowingly is a good thing. But Facebook has done a lot of damage in this country. A, a lot of I mean, Facebook is responsible for the spread of, of mis and disinformation that's that's killing people right now. Um we as a society don't usually care that much about the body image of young girls. All you have to do is look at all of the media that we allow them to consume. This is not usually, oh no, they're making young girls feel bad. It's not usually something that we, we act based on, especially in light of how much other evidence there is that they are destabilizing democracy, that they are causing deaths in the pandemic, you know, lots of other things that they could be going after. Like as a feminist, I am surprised that it is body image of young girls that seems to be the animating force here when all of these other instances are, are also readily available. It, do, are you at all surprised that that seems to be the straw that has the potential to break the camel's back when we have had so many other straws? <laughs> it's, a, it's a very thoughtful question. I would say what makes this perhaps different is that Facebook literally was sitting on data that they hmm. were acting in a way that was harming uh, young people. And I, I do think in this country, while there's not sufficient awareness on issues of, of, of feminism and what, what we're doing in terms of our culture and the objectification of, of women and young young girls, I do think there is a universal concern that you just don't hurt kids in this country. You don't, I mean, mm -hmm. that's what got tobacco into trouble, that when they were trying to sell uh, cigarettes that were addictive to kids. And that's something, you know, whether you're Democrat, Republican, progressive, conservative, that just really uh, rubs people the wrong way that you're sitting there knowingly selling products that are hurting kids. And so I do think it could be the straw that breaks the camel's back in at least getting action uh, on this issue. And then it could lead to broader questions and broader actions. I'll tell you, representing Silicon Valley, that you talk to tech leaders and their their first line is, well, we're not Facebook. So, you know, they're becoming an outcast. <laughs> that actually warms my heart. That's really funny. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, but I, we're not. I have to explain. I'm not going to say to which tech executive. I said, you know, at some point, because this one executive would go, 
far and say, well, we're not this company or that company. I was like, at some point, they're going to lump tech together. You're not going to be able to make these fine distinctions, but maybe they will be able to distinguish from Facebook. <laughs> we're not as bad as Facebook. I mean, but but speaking of, of Facebook being bad, I mean, we talk on the show a lot about, um, I mean, I'm, I'm way older than, you know, any teen, but Facebook and Instagram, I recognized a couple of years ago, they were making me sad. I'm like, why do yeah. I feel sad? Nothing is happening. Everything in my life is okay. I'm safe. I'm, I'm okay. Why am I feeling sadness right now? And it's because I'm standing still and scrolling. Um, and then I realized, I realized that connection and deleting the apps from my devices was like my way of just checking in and being like, oh, maybe it's this. And when I realized that, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm old. And if this is having, you know, an impact on my emotional well-being, I can't even imagine what the impact is on people that are younger or are, you know, not in therapy. Um, on a policy right. level, what can be done about the impact and the harm being caused by Facebook on young people? I mean, what types of regulations can Congress put into place? I mean, we're making funny jokes about, you know, Senator Blumenthal uh, asking a question seriously and earnestly about Finsta. Um, but I think there are questions that need to be asked and answered in terms of what can be done um, to make these platforms more safe. Well, Instagram often is your worst junior high experience on, on steroids. I mean, I was r remembering mine because I had a meeting with several other progressives with, with the president yesterday and they put out a release that they misspelled my name and some people were like oh does that bother you i was like no it's not a big deal at all i'm just glad i got to meet the president but i remember junior high like everyone teasing me about about my name now you think about that experience we've had and you have it amplified and shared and liked and all of the bullying uh on these platforms and it's really concerning i mean it's made being a teenager i think today much more difficult than uh 20 30 years ago when uh, i was going through school and so what can we do? Well, you don't have a First Amendment right in the same way in this country if you're under 18. And so there are a lot more regulations that you could have that limit the type of amplification of content, uh, targeting of young people in ways that are emotionally harmful. And you could really have the FTC crack down on it. Uh, you could also have them demand of Facebook that they do a lot more uh, to go after fake accounts. They, they, they don't. You could have them crack down on people who are under 13 who are still using these platforms. So far, it's just been basically laissez-faire. Let, let them do, do whatever. And I don't want to say that there isn't any good. I mean, there's, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, Me Too movement. There are a lot of social movements, environmental movements that have used these platforms. But they have to realize there's a lot of toxicity uh, because of an unregulated environment. And part of the blame is on Congress. We haven't set the rules for these platforms. Even if we could get these platforms to to behave in a more ethical way uh, towards mental and physical health of their users, I'm still concerned that we are so reliant on, like if yesterday was just a glitch, just a glitch in the matrix, no, you know, just a full coincidence that Facebook is under fire when it glitches like that. We still saw local economies disrupted all over the world. You know, there, there are humanitarian aid organizations that rely exclusively on these 
tech platforms to do their work. There are countless vendors that only sell their wares over these platforms, not to mention it's the way that families communicate with each other in tons of countries across the globe. Like, even if they're behaving ethically, if there's a power outage somewhere in the matrix, that shouldn't be able to cripple the global economy, right? I mean, is uh -huh. there, isn't there something that we should be doing just about how insidious and insinuated into every faction of life these tech platforms are? Yes, and I, I appreciate your raising that because a lot of times people just say, well, it's, it's, it's all bad, but a lot of small businesses, their livelihood depends on some totally. of these digital, digital ads. And if they weren't, they can't afford... TV rates and even radio rates are much more expensive. The challenge is that they're basically two platforms that they have to buy ads from, either Facebook or Google. And this is why we the concentration of tech power is, is such a problem. I mean, Facebook should never have been allowed to acquire Instagram, should never have been allowed to acquire WhatsApp. And if you had three different platforms, I'm not saying it would solve everything, but at least you wouldn't have one person, Mark Zuckerberg, literally making the decisions for the modern communication platform. So just like we saw in television from three networks, now you have a proliferation of cable. You can argue whether that's good or bad. My view is the multiplicity of choices has been good for people. I think we need to have more platforms in the digital space, stronger antitrust protection, so we're not as dependent on a few decision makers. I mean, it's so true that we need um, a more democratized um, way to do this, not just because the fact that, you know, one company having this much power is obviously bad. It can destroy the whole democracy. We didn't even realize. Um, and um, we, we see we're living we see and we're living through the consequences of that. But I think even going forward, you know, what are we in a place where like, the next coup could be organized and, you know, amplified on Facebook. And we don't have any way to prevent that either. So not only are there no consequences for the last time, but we don't necessarily have the mechanisms in place to prevent it from happening again, right? Yes, because we need to reform Section 230, which right. in a simple way, it, you know, it, I've been on this show a lot. If I were to come on this show and make some inflammatory comment that was inciting violence. It doesn't matter that you may like me, et cetera. You wouldn't invite me back on, on Facebook. That's true. The, there is no obligation for the vendor to take from Facebook to take anything down, even if you're actually threatening specific violence. There's no obligation for them to report it to the law enforcement. That's because of how broad Section 230 is that basically says, you don't have to do anything. By the way, the only time they have to do something is if someone's copyright is infringed. Otherwise, they have no obligation. <laughs> so we should we should say, you know, if there is uh, evidence on your site that you're, someone's going to incite violence or commit uh, commit violence against women or commit violence against uh, the public, that you have a legal obligation to remove that and report that. Just that simple reform would go a long way. We were talking to Vice Reporter Pau Ramos earlier about all of the disinformation that happens over WhatsApp that is Spanish language oriented, which mm -hmm. apparently means that it's subject to even less oversight, like things that would be taken down in English, like a bunch of doctors telling you to drink bleach instead of getting vaccinated or something that would get taken down in English within a day. If it's done in Spanish, it stays up for days and days. 
Are, are you looking into how we could possibly seek to rectify that, especially as we're dealing with this vaccine hesitancy crisis and, and, and what's happening in the Latinx population there? That's a whole other issue that we have no, frankly, visibility into. I don't know the issue specifically with the Latin, Latino community, but in my district, there's a Vietnamese community. And when Trump was president for a while, I would go there and they would be outraged at some of the basic things I, would, I was saying. And then I realized someone explained to me that the Vietnamese community on Facebook and other sites had people putting out propaganda and information in Vietnamese and no one knew what that yeah. was. No one, there was no oversight. So th- there, that's a second order issue, I think, with these sites. It's not just English and other languages. They have almost no oversight. And there's total uh, misinformation. And we, we do need to, to, to fix that. Uh, I guess what I would say is we can't even fix right now the, the misinformation <laughs> and violence in, in English. This is, of course, a deeper issue. But, you know, they first have to get to first base in just fixing even the, the English misinformation. It's so you true. Get sense- it's like we can't even do it in our own language. I mean, this is this is the question. Like, do your do your colleagues understand how how much of a threat this is to us? Like, do, do you feel a sense of urgency when you talk to members of the House or God forbid the Senate that they understand that regulating these like gigantic unregulated utilities <laughs> um, is really, really critical? Or are you sort of yelling from the sidelines that, you know, there's that the White Walkers are coming? I think there is an increasing understanding that we have to do something about it. Uh, the, the challenge is it's not going to be in, in cell bites because we do have a robust First Amendment. So we need to get people in, frankly, who understand the First Amendment and how to craft these laws in, in ways that Facebook can challenge. The, the dichotomy is that Facebook's winning in court on the antitrust mm-hmm. issues, on First Amendment issues, uh, because of the way our case law has been written. And yet there's this outrage at Capitol Hill. So we have to bridge that gap and actually have legislation that is going to uphold, uh, be upheld. Uh, but that, that urgency, I, I think, is building. The, the other thing I will say is, you know, when you look at newspapers, when you look at radio, when you look at broadcast media, it's not just the law. There was an ethics, uh, a journalistic uh, values that developed about seeing those platforms as stakeholders of democracy. And until you have that ethic developed in these platforms, until they acknowledge that they are publishers, that they are modern media companies, uh, I I just don't think regulation, though important, will be enough. And that ethic is totally missing. Now, maybe if you have more competition, more platforms emerge, you'll have new actors who who will help improve uh, the situation. I feel like we're all stakeholders in democracy, no matter what industry, but that's just my <laughs> editorializing for another day. <laughs> like, I'm like, we're all actually stakeholders in democracy, no matter what company you are in. You actually have to uphold ethics. I just believe that as a human being. But, you know, I just, that's who I am. <laughs> you know, it may not always be correct, but that's, that's how I feel. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about also is the ways in which these social media platforms i don't know they just manipulate not only do they sort of poison our information streams and and need to be regulated in that way but i also feel like they damage like our empathy chip i don't know what it is but i feel like people 
are meaner than they used to be. They're less empathetic. Um, they're less compassionate. I mean, like we're living through this pandemic and we're reminded in so many ways of, of those, the consequences of that. Um, and we're seeing it not just on these platforms, but also in real life, unfortunately. And then they're amplified on, in videos on these platforms. Um, do you get the sense that that is true? Do you feel like that's true? Do you feel like that is one of those things where it's being amplified on these platforms and like, yes, there's a lot of women that are behaving like maybe Karen, quote unquote, um, but it can't possibly be that many, right? It's that we're amplifying 10 examples, not that there's a million. I do think the way the algorithms of these platforms work is that the most outrageous, uh, the most uh, offensive, the posts that ridicule the most, that dunk the most are uh, are amplified. And that has probably created uh, a greater toxicity. Now, sometimes you do want to have outrage amplified. I mean, if you're mm -hmm. challenging injustice uh, in certain ways, but there's there's not room on these platforms for thoughtful conversations there's not room you know if you've uh, you know with isabel wilkerson's book where it ends with someone who is a has a maga hat carrying and understanding the narrative of uh, of someone who is uh, african-american and uh, the and those belongings that that type of story would never resonate on twitter uh, and so the question is are these skewed towards the uh, the most outrageous, the worst kinds of, of human behavior, and, as opposed to beautiful writing and, and essays and other things. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not uh, a Luddite, but I do think that these platforms have a lot of work to do to think about communication. I mean, the naivete, naivete was that they just uh, thought, okay, let's put people together and let's have them talk and the world will have peace and greater understanding. And if it were that simple, you know, we would have figured it out a long time ago. What so what true. can the average person do right now as as we're we're looking at the sort of in in inability to tackle this on the the grander scale at least at the the current moment like is there anything that the average person can do are you recommending that people you know log off of Facebook delete your account is there anything that we can do to keep ourselves safe in the meantime uh, I it would be hypocritical for me to recommend that when everyone in politics is uses that as a communication vehicle. But I would say a couple things. I mean, as a, as a father we're, uh, of kids, we're, my, my wife and I are very uh, reluctant and careful to expose them to phones and technology. And I think that there has to be great vigilance of, of parents of, uh, on these tools and an understanding of how hard it is uh, to, to raise kids in, in this environment. Uh, and then secondly, I, I think... Uh, monitoring the, the the level of social media use. I mean, I, there are times I'm on at the end of the day where your, where your screen time shows up and I've been on Twitter way longer than is productive and totally irrational. But I think just having the discipline to, to, to say, look, I'm not going to spend more than X amount of time uh, on these platforms. But ultimately, it's our job to, to have the regulations. We, we can't expect to uh, people and families to, to have to make those decisions just for themselves. Representative Rokana, I'm sure we're going to have you back to continue this conversation. Thank you for leading it in the House. We really appreciate the work that you do. Thanks Thank for you. having me on. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast.
We'll be back tomorrow with more news.